Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Gin and Topics podcast. I am Jen, and I'm here with my co-host, Kristen. How's it going, Kristen? Hi, Jen. It's been a minute, but I'm here, and I've got my my gin and tonic in, in hand, and I'm ready to... Yay! And I'm ready to jump back into our, uh, I want to call it our erstwhile, our erstwhile endeavor. Um, our, when we can be bothered to think about what we might want to talk about. No, it's been, um, it has been a rough season on the work front in our house and a variety of other things. So we could apologize endlessly, but we just trust that. And we're not doing just, this for money, so no, why not? No. I hope none of you lost any sleep over the fact that we never came back to Poldark. I do hope maybe you lost some sleep over Poldark itself. Ooh. Um, yeah, but um, we what we just discussed here is that Poldark season five is going to air in the fall. So we thought we thought maybe we could um, come back to catching everyone up prior to that, um, the airing of that season. So we had talked through season one of Poldark Um and we could think of a quick way to approach things going into season five when it airs. So yeah, we'll, we'll probably do pin a, in that for now. Yeah, yeah. We'll just probably do a series again. Like maybe maybe we can kind of go over themes that there are touched on seasons two through four because it does get a bit. Um, it's a, the storylines do kind of get a bit repetitive as you get into season season four. Some things are recycled and. Um, so we can probably hit on a lot of that stuff. Um, we're also, um, really good at promising things and not following (laughs) through. So those of you who've listened since the, we were really good and diligent when we had the consistent weekly X-Files episodes airing. That was a nice, you know, up to the minute thing. So since then, I don't say we're spinning our wheels, but we've been, uh, it's at our leisure, let's just say. At our leisure. We'll leisure. <laughs> to bring it back to Pole Dark. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> anyway. Oh my god, that was good. Okay, so what are we going to talk about tonight, Kristen? Well, uh, Jen recently turned me on to a show that I had seen pop up in my prime, you know, you should watch this. And it was Fleabag. And I had no concept whatsoever what Fleabag was about. So um, I started watching the wrong season, I might add, when I first started watching it. But I started watching season two initially, got through two episodes before I realized or Jen brought it to my attention that I probably... (laughs) She's like mentioning characters. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. You like skipped a big chunk of character development in the form of, you know, six episodes of season one. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, to the credit of the writer slash director, slash main star, slash protagonist, um, uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, there's there's enough of Mm -hmm. um, threads that you pick up in season two, because I think there was a bit of a gap between season one and season two anyways. I think there's 371 days and some odd hours, as is the title card between seasons one and two. I think in Britain, it was a pretty lengthy... It was about three years, yeah. ...break in between one and two. Yeah. Yeah, so um, there was enough catching up um, that I didn't feel lost. I didn't feel like I had missed any great part of the story. Like, I was a little discombobulated. But anyways, regardless, I did restart. And I was able to binge the entire show in one day. One day. Yep. 
Now it's it's that bingeable people because it's it's those British series that are like six episodes and this is a sitcom dramedy, like half an hour chunks. So it's it's very bingeable. Incredibly. And so very well formed for the working mother. Thank you, Fleabag. <laughs> yes, thank you, Fleabag. They're they're nice, tidy, uh, twenty-five minute episodes and you can binge I mean, in half a day you could probably have season two done. Um, if you really put your mind to it. But so, I'll say this. I've already watched season two twice since Sunday. And it's just, I, there's like, I'm torn between wanting to savor it like the most delicious piece of fudge cake or any other decadent dessert you can imagine and just eating it very slowly and stuffing my face <laughs> with it repeatedly daily because it's so good the first season is fantastic the second season i think it's like one of the most transcendent things i've seen on tv in ages I don't know if you agree with me, but I totally and completely 110% agree with you. There's so much to enjoy about season one, but season two, really the writing and the acting just, just blew me out of the water. It's like nothing I've ever seen on television before. And I can't say enough good things about it. And then I'm, I'm not super active on the social meds. Right. Like I don't I'm not super active on Twitter. Well, and that's how I heard about this. This is what I'm on Twitter quite a bit for pub writing community stuff. And that's I started to filter up into my consciousness toward the end of last week. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll give it a go. And I am not sorry. Well, because season two was just released on May 17th, I think, um, Mm -hmm. here for us, which is why it's percolated now to you. And and having done now that I've watched it um, and having, you know, Googled and see if there's a season three potentially, which I hope to God, I hope that we talk about that. Like, I don't want there to be a season three ever, but I don't think there is going to be. No, they said no. I hope not. Um, but I, I saw that there are so many people out there who are on their Twitter and who are, you know, just just ad nauseum about how like how brilliant the show is it's just absolutely brilliant and how Phoebe Waller-Bridge is now not only probably going to be up for an Emmy for writing but also Mm -hmm. probably for her role as Mm -hmm. as the protagonist as Fleabag um who yeah anyway so needless to say you should definitely listen to this podcast having watched the show because we're going to spoil the shit out oh, of it. Oh yeah. We always spoil stuff on here. You guys I know that. I can't not talk about <laughs> what happens in season two. Like I no, just We're going to talk about all of it. So yeah. Um, just to give a little, so we're going to talk about this with the understanding that people have seen it or not seen it, that they've seen it. Seen it. You should, yeah. you should, if you've, if you have not seen it, stop what you were doing push pause on this podcast and come back in like 12 hours yes. after you've watched your, no, it's not even that long. It's like six, it's like six you'll hours. Back. You'll be back in the morning. Okay. Yeah. So, um, let me ask you a question then, Kristen, as you, you started with season two, but let's pretend you didn't starting with season one or just in the initial episodes, what grabbed you and pulled you in? Cause you um, made some interesting observations to me. I did. And I want to save my observations for that I made to you initially because I do think okay. they're more applicable to season two 
okay. specifically. However, I do think I do stand by my initial statement <laughs> that it it does fit the whole show. Um, yeah. Okay. First and foremost, obviously, the thing that makes this show so unique is the fact that there is no fourth wall whatsoever. Um, the the protagonist who we never learned her name. So okay, I'm gonna just interrupt. There is a fourth wall, but not for her. She breaks so it. Yes. She breaks the the main character is in this like little. It, uh, she has this little relationship with the viewer in that she's constantly turning to us, kind of a la Jim Halpert in The Office. Yes. Um, but, yes. Um, you know, giving you the eye rolls or the explanatory comments. But the rest of the characters, this is important. The rest of the characters do not break fourth wall. They are in universe and she's popping in and out of universe is how I interpret that. That is correct. So it's not that there isn't a fourth wall. It's that she's crossing back and forth it over it. Yes. Yeah. Correct. Um, and fr- so, okay. So that that is the most notable thing is the fact that that Fleabag, I, I'll just call her Fleabag, although that's, that's not her real the only name. name. That's, just... that's the only name that she's ever, she's never referred to by name. By she's any never referred to as show. Fleabag either. It's no, just, that's the title of the show. We don't, just, yeah. Yeah. So um, she routinely is in, is her own omniscient narrator and she gives you the asides, the, the pithy asides, um, mm-hmm. which are just absolutely hysterical hysterically funny most of the time um like especially when they're in the middle of sex scenes which which is is the opening scene the opening scene she's getting nailed and she's (laughs) talking to you the the viewer it's fantastic you can't look away i mean maybe we should but like you cannot look away she's giving you this commentary and i i think yeah it draws you in right away oh and it's absolutely so irreverent and it's because of that, it's just absolutely gorgeous. Like it's gorgeous um, because it gives you more than anything. I think she gives a really fantastic voice to a mid thirties, you know, struggling woman, a uh, single woman who's just, you know, going about her life. Now, the fact that she's also, you, you mentioned initially how incredibly self-destructive she is yeah. Yeah. in the first uh, season specifically. Yeah. Which I agree to a certain point. Um, I think she is, I think she has self-destructive tendencies, but I think a lot of the things that happened to her prior to, granted, um, Boo, uh, her best friend, uh, you know, unfortunately kind of killing herself. I want to say it's a suicide, but it's, it's really not a suicide. It was not an intentional killing. It was a, it was a cry for help in the midst of a, of a, you know, a heartbreak that turned deadly. And so we know we, what we know of Fleabag pretty early is that she lost her mother within recent years, months, perhaps. So her mother has died. She has one sister. You guys have all seen it by now, if you're listening, but, and then not only has she lost her mom, she's lost this best friend roommate and co-owner of her cafe so she's 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 like walking grief struck yes and just um so when i say self-destructive i don't mean like a flippant self-destructiveness i just mean it's 
you know, there's, there's so much, there's so much sex and drinking and, um, you know, choice, choice making that she's doing. That's, um, un, that's very clear pretty early that she's numbing. I think she's yeah. trying to, she's trying to numb and she's very blase about things like breaking up with the long-term boyfriend. And she just kind of is like, meh, he's going to come back. So you can see that she's, when I mean destructive, she's destructive to her emotional self. She has shut that down. And isn't there the ones, she has one scene with one, one of her partners. And he's like impressed by how detached she is. And she's like, oh no, he's going to fall in love with me now. Yeah. You know? And this is like a big no, no. Cause she's like kind of priding herself on, um, just that that's not entering into her behavior. Yeah. The emotional connection is not. And that's why I wanted you to make sure you watch first, the first season before you watch the second. Yeah. And there was a lot of, there was a lot. I, I don't think I could fully appreciate what happens in season two without seeing what happens in season one. So I have a giant smile on my face because I'm just thinking of, just thinking <laughs> of the priest in season two. Can't wait till we get to that part. But any okay. homes, any homes. Um, so, yeah, she she definitely and, and the she did end up being the one who cheated with Boo's boyfriend, which is the big revelation at the very end of the first season. Is that right? But her you best can friend, see that coming. You can see it coming, but you can. So Boo, you know, that revelation is withheld from us until the very end. So it's meant to land really heavily on us that not only is she grief stricken for having lost her mother and lost her best friend. She's also the cause of her friend, her friend's heartbreak, um, who by all, by all the flashbacks were given was just an incredibly positive and wonderful person. Yeah. And there was a, there was an, like there was a, it was a love. It was a, one of the loves of her life. Yes. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I know there's there's some mention in season two of the fact that she p- potentially is bi. I thought I thought potentially that there was that that was where the relationship was going to go eventually. Like there was such a such a love there that it was going to turn sexual in nature with her best friend. I think that there's a there's a reading of of the show that could give you that. I do think so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, <coughs> uh, but. Um, the fact that I, I don't think I drew the connection that it was the guy in the shoe store when she was looking with, um, with her brother-in-law. I don't think I drew the connection that that was the guy that she did. So the, the way that it, they did set it up, it did fall. It did land pretty hard with me by the it end. It lands. Yeah. yeah, it does. Um, and, um, just the way that they set up the relationship between her and boo. And I think that that's interesting. That that's very interesting to do that with a female character with a female protagonist when the female protagonist also already has a a sister because um i don't i don't have the benefit of a sister you have Mm -hmm. you have uh sisters yeah um but i had always imagined that growing up with sisters it would almost be like having best friends um i i know it can tend to be very adversarial it's one of the strengths I think of this show is the diversity of female relationships 
And you had mentioned, and we'll talk more about this, that this felt and reminded you of Austin in some ways. And it maybe it's just a fact of a female writer and that this these relationships that shape us in our lives as women are very often these intimate friendship sister type type things. And you get that in Austin with all these sister stories. But like Lizzie Bennett, she's got Jane, her sister. She does have Jane. And she has Lydia, her and- sister. And she has Charlotte Lucas, her friend, you know, all of which are different shades of relation, confidence, and interest. And so the sister, the sister dynamic in Fleabag is, it's really good. It's really competitive. There's always, I just think it's interesting the the sense of inferiority that, that Fleabag brings when talking about Claire, her older sister. But then in season two, there's a lovely scene where Claire actually says to Fleabag, like, you make me feel like I have failed. Yeah. And you're like, wait a second. You're the one who's really successful and has a marriage and everything. And, and that way in which, you know, the standards that we're held to as women, however we fail at meeting them, if the person that's closest to us is, is succeeding in some way, it just compounds. I don't know. I just, I think that that dynamic is really well developed in this show. It absolutely is. It absolutely is. And that was like, one of it the might things- be the main like dynamic relationship is she and the sister. Like that might be the main like relationship that grows and changes the most over the, over the show. Uh, agree. Agree. Because you don't really see much um, with the stepmother who's played by the delicious, amazing, fantastic. Can't say enough good things about multi-layered. <laughs> Olivia Coleman. Olivia Coleman. Literally, yeah. I like. I want her to win the Emmy for this role specifically. Like, I want her to win it. She's absolutely fantastic, and she's already won an Oscar for the favorite. But still, I don't care. I want her to win an Emmy for this role. I thought it was fantastic. I thought she was so good in this role. Um, because and in season one and season two, she's just she's just she's a piece of work. I mean, she's unhinged in some scenes. <laughs> And in other scenes, she's just so, like, calculated. And it's just so wonderful. Like, you can, oh, you can see the the great thing about her is that you can see the artifice. Like, you can see the different layers of what her character is doing and why her character is doing it. She deserves all the awards Olivia Colman does. The show is, in in the show, it's fantastic. So good. Um, But the the relationship with the stepmom doesn't and really so passive aggressive much. oh it's so great it's like it's like a masterwork their whole family of course i just i just couldn't help think about how tucked in all the emotions are which is i think i think that might be why fleabag comes across as like self-destruction because she is all out there she's like not hiding she's you know, she's getting accused repeatedly by those closest to her of like constantly making a scene. But one of the reasons for that is that everyone else is kind of faking it all the time. Um, or, or if not faking it, like being manipulative and, and passive aggressive. Whereas like Fleabag is just aggressive. (laughs) Like She's just out there. Yeah. She doesn't care. Like for all her asides to, to us, to the audience, like she is, is unabashedly herself 
Like she really yeah. doesn't give a shit. She's just out there. Um, yeah, I just, oh God, I just, I, yeah, the, the relationships between the different female characters, um, is something that I think, I think that television has started to realize that, um, to have all these different, all these different and all these differing relationships between different strong females is something that uh, is compelling for people to watch. Because I didn't realize when I first started watching Fleabag that um, Phoebe Waller-Bridge also is a writer on another one of my newest shows that I've gotten into, Killing Eve. I didn't oh, know really? that. Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. She's a writer on Killing Eve. And um, Fiona Shaw, who plays in The Therapist in the second season, she has, she has like 10 minutes have you seen any of Killing Eve, by the way? No. Oh, Lord, have mercy. So that was one of the things that I watched. I binged the first season of Killing Eve. And I thought to myself, as I was watching, or as I first started watching, there's no way that this is going to live up to the hype. Um, and that's kind of what I thought when I started Fleabag, too. Me, like, too, eh. because the hype was pretty high. Yeah. I'm like, eh, there's no way this is going to live up to it. And then I watched it and I was like, oh, hell, this is a thousand times better than than anything I could have p- potentially anticipated. Um, and I think that she might be one of the key reasons hmm. uh, because she writes well, she's a woman. She writes women as these complex, like. And, and the casting in both shows is just absolutely fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so getting back to it, um, we've kind of touched on what happens uh, in season one. We've definitely let you know what happens at the end of season one. What's your um, favorite scene in season one? Do you have a favorite scene in season one? See, I just watched season two, so season one is not super fresh in my mind. But um, season one, trying to think. Do you have one? Because I'm trying to. Um, I really like the scene where I believe it's the last episode, and she's come to the stepmother's sex position, um, <laughs> and and her and and has been pressed into basically being a caterer and it's like you know drinking the champagne and just oh. really being belittled by the stepmother and then she, fin- she finally snaps and starts dropping champagne glasses directly onto the floor oh yeah that's fantastic um, i'm a big fan of that because things were simmering so long and she's been so mistreated so I mean, that's one of the other things about this show is that I just I couldn't get over how in the first season it's so clear that that she is so hurting. She is so hurting. And yet her family, when she tries to go and visit her father, like puts her in a cab and sends her home, you know, like she's attempting to reach out and she's being rebuffed again and again. So this last, the you know, this last episode where she's finally like gone to this hideous older woman's penis display you know and (laughs) all the penises on the wall are so fantastic and then you know and then the godmother's like can you figure out which one's your father yeah which one is your dad Uh, you know like oh it's so inappropriate and she just you know i think she's been she's been trying 
to connect with these people because she desperately needs the. I mean, she just, I just want to hug her so hard. You just want to gather her up. And like, everyone is so fucking repressed that they don't. And so she finally just like, she just starts dropping champagne glasses on the floor. And I love that scene. Yeah, that was fantastic. Um, that was really good. This exposition itself was really great. Um, I get, okay. Uh, I did like the scene. I think it was a little bit earlier than that. Was it was actually more of a whole episode. The one where they, um, they go to the, the silent retreat that they're gifted by their father. That is so good. That um, silent retreat episode is so good. The the entire episode is fantastic. The <gasps> fact that every so often these women are are silent at their silent retreat, and yet there's a men's <laughs> retreat next door that you can hear them yelling "slut!" Like <laughs> okay, okay, I, I take it back. I take it back. My favorite scene is actually in the silent retreat episode, mm. where she at the end of it. She meets up with one of the men who's attending the men's retreat to work through their issues of aggression towards women. And this is the bank manager who has turned banker, her down, yeah. for, who has turned her down for a loan. And they had an incident of sexual harassment at his bank and they sit on the log and she's trying to be quiet. And he's just, he's telling her like, these are the things that I want. He's like, you know, I want to come downstairs to my kitchen and take a glass oh. and put it in the dishwasher. And he's just basically like, he it's this just very human longing for, for a relationship with his wife that could be repaired after he's clearly, you know, messed up terribly um, in some of his sexual impulses. And like, it's so tender and so real and you would never have expected that this character would be allowed to be fully fleshed out because he's been painted earlier in the series as this kind of ugly misogynist kind of guy. And yet they take the time to humanize him completely in that scene. And it's beautiful. It's uh, beautiful. That bit of dialogue. Um, there are bits of dialogue in this show that yank on my heartstrings and just refuse to let go. And it like, it really speaks to the human experience. And that one bit that you mentioned where he said he wants to unload the dishwasher and put these dishes away, put the cups away and see his wife take that same cup down the next morning. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that that's what he wants, like that's what he considers to be like happiness. Like that's peace. That's peace for him. Peace. And peace is an idea that comes up later in season two and one of my favorite lines. But um, yeah, it's um, it's really wrong. This it's really raunchy. It's really, you know, it's really sexual. It's really crass. But man, like all of a sudden, I feel like the show will just it'll like suddenly crank the wheel and send you into like super deep human territory that you're like, what was that? I just, it's remarkable. It is. It really is. Like there are just these bits. <clears throat> there are these bits of absolutely brilliant dialogue that was written that just, they transcend for me. Like, yep. like it's, it's, it perfectly encapsulates like the human experience and just how, how frustrating and beautiful and terrifying and futile 
it all is and like how all of that like it's just it's oh it's and how and how how everyone is walking around with these griefs that we don't see yeah you know these griefs and struggles um and we just you know the people who are more out there we happen to notice them but like as you dig under everyone there's these little griefs anyway i think we should talk about season two because season one is great Season two is transcendent. Ooh, if you ask season me. two. Oh, so season let's, two. So let's talk about season two. Um, okay. If I may begin, may I begin? Go. go. Okay. So season two begins. She's we see Fleabag. She is wiping blood off her face in a restroom, and she turns to the camera and she says, "This is a love story." This is a love story. And and they cut to credits, and then we have, I believe, the whole first episode is a dinner party. Yes. And it reminds me of other fantastic dinner party scenes um, with different families. And I was like, I was thinking, I'm like, if I was ever like teaching a a class on family dynamics, like I would show this scene and then I would show the the dinner table scene from while you were sleeping. One of my all time favorite dinner time scenes. Do you know which one I'm talking about? And while you were sleeping, Sandra Bullock, Bill Pullman. Oh, my gosh. Okay, it's all right. It's like the best rom-com ever. It's my favorite rom-com. Anyway, so this is like not the heartwarming rom-com family dinner. (laughs) This is the simmering hostility of a parent that has gotten engaged to the evil stepmother and the sisters who have not spoken to one another. At this point, it's been over a year, just over a year since we've last seen them. We're told this all in the catch up, and and the brother in law who and the brother in law attempted to kiss his wife's sister. Yeah, the sleazy brother in law at her own birthday, uh, at at his own wife's surprise birthday. Ugh, disgusting. He was so gross. Like that was perfectly cast, by the way. Oh, he's very slimy. So they're sitting there. So we've got, we've got. Fleabag, sister, brother-in-law, and this random dude who we don't know who it is for several minutes. And my one of my favorite things is at one point, Fleabag turns to the camera and she goes, I don't know who this guy is. And, and you're like, thank you for saying this. I don't know who this guy is either. So she's like, she's letting us in on the fact that like, who is this dude? We don't know. And uh, turns out it's the parish priest um, that is going to perform the, the wedding for the, the father and the stepmother, the stepmother to be. And um, I love one of his lines is basically he's like, I'm new and I'm really lonely. So thanks for inviting me to dinner, yeah. basically. Like he's glommed on and come. So, yeah, absolutely. And another thing that I love about that becomes quite obvious in season two is that godmother slash soon to be stepmother, uh, she likes to kind of collect. Um, social oddities as uh, yes like pets or playthings, and so yes. her her beautifully like and that becomes like crystal clear during the season i think it's episode five when it's like their their wedding or whatever it's the but... last one yeah she's like this is my friend laura she's a surrogate this is my lesbian friend um <laughs> this is my uh, yeah so th- i didn't make this connection to till right now but you're right she kind of collects them like pieces of like chipped china it's weird yeah she absolutely does um and she and so she she has 
has, they're not like you, you definitely know that she and Fleabag's father are not religious at all, but she has somehow glommed on to the, uh, to this really young, really hip, really mouthy. Um, I, as, as Fleabag says, oh, they're cool, sweary priest. Yeah. <laughs> cool, sweary priest. Cause he swears all the time. And he um, drinks like a fish. <laughs> and he smokes like a chimney. Like it's just, he's a fantastic character. Side um, note, Kristen, were you not so jealous of them opening their cans of GNT? Oh my God. I was like, get me some canned GNT in my country, please. We have canned G and T. They just they just don't sell it at your Target, honey. I'm oh, sorry. Oh damn. Okay, well, I know. I've never, I've never had canned G and T, but um, there there's a lot of drinking of canned G and T um as the season goes forward. There is um, and that dinner party that dinner party was the one that caused me to text you <laughs> to say. Oh my God, this is so, this feels so Austenian to me. Like it just feels mm-hmm. so like modern day Jane Austen. Like you've got the really weird dynamic between two sisters. You've got the really like awful brother-in-law. Um, you've got random kind of charming priest guy. You've got father who incredibly he reminds me so much of emma woodhouse's father yeah and the fact that yeah. he's just he, he he never finishes a sentence during that during his like monologue at the table he just trails off at the end of every sentence and you're left to infer whatever he was supposed to mean at the end like it's beautiful and then you've got the the really weird kind of you know mother godmother slash stepmother who's you know she's got obvious feelings about the the daughters and uh, anyway absolutely felt austenian to me um, and you we and we specifically chatted that it it had a when we reviewed mansfield park the movie the movie version yes that has that has a lot of fourth wall breaking um fanny price's character in mansfield park does a lot of fourth wall breaking which got that movie you know mixed reviews because it's not typical straight ahead filming of an Austin novel, but Fanny Price's like wry little asides. I mean, like this is, this is its cultural, you know, offshoot. This is Absolutely. where, I mean, this is Fanny Price. Fleabag is Fanny Price. Like now giving Absolutely. you the Austin voice wry aside for sure. Uh, yeah, the, the omniscient narrator, the, the Greek chorus, the, like, it's, it's all of that kind of tied into one neat bundle every time Fleabag looks into the camera, because not only is she offering you insight, she's usually off also offering you, um, uh, social, social commentary. I feel like, I feel like there's, there's also a, a, like a layer of uh of social commentary of what normal people would be thinking in this yeah. situation yeah. yeah um because because some of the situations that she in which she finds herself they're just so flipping ridiculous like you can't even believe it um especially <laughs> oh god just thinking of her sister's haircut oh my god her sister's that, haircut in the second that scene, season that's 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 such a priceless and hysterical moment 
Oh man. And what I love about it is that her sister, so that comes like season ep five of season two. It's like really late. But I think another, that's the placement of it is perfect because up until this point, Claire has not, Claire has not reached out to her for any sort of moral support. She's gone through a miscarriage. Her husband and her marriage is seriously tense and under, you know. Her stepson is a fucking lunatic. Her stepson is a serial killer in the making. (laughs) Like, and she doesn't like reach out at all, but all of a sudden Fleabag gets this like urgent, urgent call. And what, what is it? It's a bad haircut. I I just I think that that is it's really funny. It is hilarious. <laughs> it's like so funny. I I can't even explain why, but uh, but relatable. The Absolutely. Bad haircut. Yeah. Hilarious. Hilarious. And then they go and confront the hairdresser. Remember, they go and confront the hairdresser, <laughs> oh, yeah. and she's like, "Show me the reference picture." And then he digs it out, and sure enough, sure as shit. She has she has requested. She, she has requested this haircut. This yeah. haircut. Yeah. I know. I Absolutely know. hilarious. It's funny. Oh God, it was hilarious. Um, okay. So we need to talk though about the priest. So in the first episode, Chris Kristen just crossed herself. Good Luth- good Lutherans that we are. Um <laughs> testicles wallet and watch he is (laughs) absolutely like like i'm wringing my hands together right now i'm just like he um he is known affectionately on twitter as hot priest um that's how i got roped into watching the show is he was referred to by everyone as hot priest so that is the last line of episode one as Claire and Fleabag are riding to the hospital to get the miscarriage checked out. Nothing is said except Claire says, Priest is kind of hot. And you Fleabag know, says, so hot. And I just think it's just perfect. Jen, the fact that this show, you need to check yourself. The fact that what grabbed you and like thought, oh, I should watch the show was like hot priest. <laughs> check yourself, girl. <laughs> Holy hell. Oh, you're sacrilegious. Um, have you never watched the Thornbirds, Kristen? Oh, I've watched the Thornbirds. <laughs> oh, yes, I have. Girl, we should do another podcast. There's the a long birds. tradition in this in this vein. Come now. There sure is. <laughs> <laughs> this is a long and storied erotica tradition. <laughs> oh, my God. But can I tell you? When they were about to do it in the confessional, I was like, yes, go for it. <laughs> well, I think there, this is the thing. There are so few, there are so few like actual barriers these days, social class, race, nationality, all these previous generations of barriers between people getting together are pretty much flattened for the most part. So there's like what's left. The celibacy, the priesthood, yeah, the priesthood um, element. So um, that was a really convenient choice um, for writing because there's there's a way that you know it require it this element of the connection between the two of them requires restraint that Fleabag in the previous season, as we've seen, that she would just steamroll right over and jump in the sack. Like, no qualms. And so the fact 
that there's this barrier that has to be between them allows the feelings to happen that wouldn't happen and it may be otherwise do you know what i'm saying i know what you're saying yeah and it it does develop it's a it's a really great slow burn over season two it really and is and it's not so slow that you want to kill yourself true like other, like other notable slow burns you mean the 25 year <laughs> slow burn that you and i have been dealing with in the x-files well and Okay, so other notable recently crashed slow burn ships, the Jamie Brienne slow oh, burn. I don't want to talk about it. I'm, I'm not sorry. ready to talk about it. I'm sorry. We are we are big fans of the slow burn. I mean, if that's not been obvious from this podcast, I don't know what you've been doing with your time. But <laughs> the, the slow burn is the only thing worth sticking around for, honestly. No, it really is. But Oh, um, man. It, it the does, like the instant chemistry, but the slow burn. Yes, instant yes. chemistry with the slow burn. With the slow burn, I like it. I like this, it. We're just this is add a this, little more kindling. <laughs> add a little more kindling every episode. Burn, burn. No, this would be our. <laughs> I'm like miming a bellows. bellows. Right There's got to be a designation on Ao3 for this exact kind of slow burn. There probably is. Oh, anyway, I'm quite sure. I'm quite sure, sure there is. There's an AO3 category. Um, yeah, so that has that barrier I think is it's a it's a good device for the telling of the story. Can I just like wax rhapsodic? What am I trying to say here? It's like um I loved 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 the spiritual sexual intermingling that was going on in this relationship um and i've had some conversations with a friend recently about just because i have this theory that people who are like fleabag and others quite promiscuous are deeply spiritual people and that engagement with people in the physical sense is an incredibly um present and meaningful way of like living in the world now it does not have great consequences because there's all sorts of ethical boundaries that people tend to cross when they're promiscuous but i do find that those that that type of person is actually a very spiritual person in a certain way of being i don't know this is just one of my hypotheses and so she of course meets this priest who has a past who says to her at one point that he's had many sexual partners and then has come to the priesthood later in life and has done so because he feels this calling, this genuine love. And that's what that last, the last episode when he, you know, pushes her up against the brick wall and kisses her before he goes to perform the wedding. Yeah. And and he's just like this feeling, I don't know what this feeling. And she's like, is it me or is it God? And he's like, I don't know. And then in the bus terminal at the very end, she says, it's God, isn't it? And he's like, yeah. yeah. And and this this way in which divine and human loves amplify and intertangle with one another. I have never seen anything like it on television. I don't think I have either. I, I mean, just as a person of faith watching this, I was like so pleased with it. 
Oh, absolutely. Because it was 100% respectful of his commitment and yet really honest about the struggle that that represents for people. Um, because he he was like completely compelled by her. He loved her. He wanted in some sense to be with her. But like he says, if I fall in love with you, it's going to fuck up my life that I've chosen and that I'm also equally committed to. I don't know. I just I just felt like it was super respectful of of people who make that kind of a choice about how to live. It yeah. was not belittling it in the slightest. Absolutely. I absolutely feel you. This, I, I, I feel the exact same way. I feel you on exactly what you're saying because there's a tendency in this day and age to kind of t- to look down on, on the faithful and to look down on religious people um, as backwards, as like flat earthers or something like that. And um the fact that this show managed to be incredibly respectful and not only that, but like he gave her a Bible, like he, he had given her a Bible and given her passages to, yeah. to review, um, which she did like to her credit. She absolutely did. And then she came to him and she said, hmm, I read your book and <laughs> yeah. uh, I got some questions. There's some, there's some discrepancies, um, which I get. Which he like he fully was willing to admit to, and and he was like giving. I mean, the exact perspective that I think the average person would take on it, but isn't typically represented in in contemporary um, depictions of of religion and religious belief. You know, like I don't read Genesis one literally. I don't. Very few people do. Right. You know, and that was her question. So yeah, it's just. Um, yeah, it's. I it's, was so pleased. I kept. Oh. I kept waiting for it to go bad. I kept I did too, waiting but it for it to. It doesn't. It doesn't. And it. I mean, it, like the end of it, a one hundred percent confirms that like he is he is right to follow this deep love that has enlivened his heart, which is the love of God in his life that he wants to share with people. And he wants and, to love people like a father, like he yeah. does. He does. Yeah. He wants to to emulate the love of God and love people like a father, and yeah. I I I thought that that was really really beautifully done. Like I yeah. really did to take and to take such a such a I, I don't want to say antiquated view of the Christian faith, but Catholicism is pretty like it's it's pretty you know it's not super progressive. When I <laughs> most wings of it, no, there's certainly progressive wings um, and voices, but um, yeah, it just it 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 heartened me. It heartened it, me too yeah. a lot, and because I feel like there was a there was a point where Fleabag was turning that scene in the confessional too, aside from the sexiness, uh, where she just broke down. Um, yeah I cried I did too um it was hard it was hard to take um and I feel like she was allowing herself also also the other thing was that there was a certain element of um now that I'm thinking about it of um magic I want to say magical realism because there were those those paranormal elements well pictures would fall off the wall and do you remember they've had a little bit of a falling out and she comes and she's going to pray in the church and then she hears him playing the music and he's trying to get a bottle of 
some kind of alcohol off of a high shelf. And he, at one point he says, help me out, God. And the bottle tips off the and shelf the into his hands. Yeah. And, and, and he, and, and there was another moment when something falls off the wall and he goes, he kind of looks up and he goes, I love it when he does that. I love it when he does that. You know? And, um, yeah, so there is, there's there, little hint, hints there was that a supernatural element there's a supernatural element going on here. Yeah. Um, and then, and also the, the whole Fox thing too, um, which plays, plays kind love of the a, foxes. Oh God. That final foxes episode. are such harbingers of, of the mysterious and the mystical always. And they are, but experience. they're also like, they're also tricksters in mythology. Too, well, that's which is, true. I know. You know, there's a lot of layers there. Um, okay. There's something also really, really important about their relationship before the making out and the confessional and the finally breaking down. <clears throat> which is? Which is in episode three. Um, episode two cracks me up because she goes to visit him and he tells her that he's writes restaurant reviews and he reads the title and she looks at the camera and she goes, oh God, I think I fancy a priest. <laughs> Yeah, just die because she's like oh my gosh this guy's clever and funny and she's like horrified that she you know she fancies him so in this in the third episode oh my gosh um so they are hanging out at night and they're sitting on the bench they've gone outside and that he's telling her about the fox thing and at one point she does one of her usual asides she looks to the camera and he said, what was that? And she kind of is startled and looks at, at, at it again. And he goes, where, where did you go? And this fourth wall that she's been breaking and this relationship she's been having with the viewer, he perceives it and he sees her basically depart. It's almost, it made me gasp out loud. Like this entire conceit that the show has been built upon from the beginning, he's the only person who begins to see through it and to see what she's doing, which is she's she's not fully present in her life. She's like always a little distant from it because she's always narrating it. She's and so that that conceit that she's been using of the fourth wall to step back and make these funny comments to us um, has been her way of detaching. And he is getting finally close enough to her and seeing her that he's perceiving this detachment. And she, she, you know, she's blanking out of her own life in order to, to keep this, this conceit going. And it, it was so startling to me because to me that is the essence of love that is the essence of of being loved is to really see someone to see directly into them and 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 perceive them and and their coping strategies and the things that they're doing and i just i was floored by that it was incredible and it, it, it happens again because there's the later scene in the cafe where he starts to probe deeper and she won't tell him about her friend who's died and she looks at the camera again and he looks at the camera. Yeah. He looks over at us and you get him crossing the fourth wall at one point. And he's like, what? You know, like, what is, what are you doing? Where are you going? Why are you avoiding? Because again, she's, he's getting really close. He's getting really to know her and to into her grief and into her and, you know, 
and her struggles and she is resisting it and relying on this on this conceit you know again this tactic um and uh which is why the ending is so important do we want to talk about that yet i think we should probably talk about the ending um and how simultaneously heartbreaking and also cathartic it is um because i don't think i've ever walked away from a show feeling like okay i can i can live with it staying there i don't think i've ever walked away from a show feeling like that um and i did with this one and it's only two season which which is stupid like that's stupid it's it's complete it's it is it is seen It's so good that I I do I would want more, but the way that they ended it, I don't I don't want them to fuck it up, you know. Um, so the show ends with she and the priest. They've now that her and her her godmother and her father have married. Now. Um, so she and the priest have seen that through together in a way. And when she was walking up to him, by the way, when she was walking up to him on her father's arm, like her father kept her there. Remember? I do. Uh, And as she was walking up, I was like, oh God, it's going to be almost like they're exchanging vows. And it kind of was like, I felt like when he was giving his homily, Mm -hmm. um, which is about how terrible love is and how it messes up your life. Uh, yeah, but he was saying it to her. Yeah, he was delivering it to her. Um, so I also they've... felt like it was a homily about about this divine love that had messed up his life. The the love that he has for God, yeah, is also messing up his his normal life, you know, and upends everything. Because we we skipped past this, but just before they go into the confessional, she unburdens herself, and then you know they make out. Um, they make in, out and they almost have sex. They in do the in the church, like Lord have Woo! mercy. And Lord have mercy. Yeah, it's pretty hot. Um, <laughs> I needed to, I needed a cold shower. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but before that, he is. That's when he's trying to get the liquor bottle off the top of the shelf. He's been playing like loud music. Dude is struggling. Yeah. This this is the Darcy diving into the pond moment. <laughs> moment of struggle. Like he's you know, am I right or what? He's struggling. He's gone past the gin. I think he's drinking tequila. I don't know. Anyway, and he pours her a glass. They toast and he says to peace. And to those who would disrupt it or to those who get in the way of it. Yeah. So it is, I don't know, I just love it so much because it's like, you want both of those things. You want peace and you want the kind of love that's going to wreck the fuck out of it. Yeah. Like you want them both. And so the tension between those two things is like present in everything that's going on between them. It's such a sweet love. It's such a healing, healing love. And you so want it to become more. But it can't and it doesn't, but it's still so beautiful. I, it's such a tension and I loved it. I just, 
It so is. good. It's so good. You both beautiful want the peace tension. and you want the mucked up. Yeah. Oh, it's a beautiful tension. Yeah. And the fact that she even allowed herself to be open to that. I feel like we need to step back a bit because Kristen Scott, <clears throat> Kristen Scott Thomas. Oh, yeah. We didn't talk about that. And absolutely fantastic guest appearance in mm-hmm. one episode of season two. Um, and there, that was another one of those moments of dialogue that, um, like left me really breathless. And like, I felt like I was gasping for air, like, oh my God, you have just explained what it's like to be living on this planet. And, um, she said, well, not only that, not only to be human on this planet, to be a woman on this planet. Specifically, yes. Specifically. To have, to have women parts. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, and she goes into it and she she talks about how difficult it is to be a woman because we're, we are born with this pain. We are born with the pain of, of you know, the menstrual cycle and we're born with the pain that, that eventually becomes you know, we pray to God, um, that eventually becomes a child that's ours to bear. Mm-hmm. And then, and then that eventually becomes menopause. And then after menopause and she's like, Oh, and it's, it's just so exquisite after once you get past menopause, but it's like, oh God, if we have to wait until we're <laughs> as women, if we have to wait until we're like 55 plus until we're finally pain free, whereas men are always seeking to impart this pain upon themselves like they they're not born with it like women are um and i just thought that was such a profound thing to like actually put into words and like make people understand what it's like to be a woman it's so true and i i felt that monologue has gotten a lot of praise and one of the things that they mention about it is that the Kristen Scott Thomas character describes postmenopause life as fabulous and exquisite and wonderful. And she's like, you are just a person, not a machine with parts anymore that you finally get to be a person in, in just a flat neutral sort of way. Um, And the commentary on it has basically been like menopause is never described in that way in, in most you know, uh, renderings of it that you see in, in pop culture. And just that that's a really important and healing perspective to give. So I, it absolutely I, is. Yeah. And there was <clears throat> another portion uh, too. And the- I loved what she had to say about flirting. Flirting. She's, yes. She sends, she sends Flea back back to the party and she's like, go flirt. She's like, I miss that energy that, you know, that excitement of walking into, there's nothing better there's nothing better than a room of full people, of people. And which that's, is something that yes. Jane Austen would write. Yes. Don't you think Jane Austen would write that line and, would, and would believe would. that line, you know? No, that was the line that got me. And it wasn't, it wasn't. And, like and, Fle- and Fleabag's like, I hate people. And, and, you know, Kristen Scott Thomas's character people is are people are all we have. And that's like, what I wanted to get to, Jen. Oh, I'm sorry. I took your thunder. <laughs> No, but that's, that line got me. People are all we have. People are yeah. all we have. That is such an important message right now, I feel like. Yeah. No yeah. matter how different we all are, 
people, the people around you walking into a room, no matter where you are, walking into a room full of people, those people are all we have. That's it. That's it. Those relationships that we develop, that's all we have. Yeah. Yeah. That's how you make your mark. Otherwise, what is the point? What is the point of even being here? Yeah. Yeah. You know? um, I've had, I have had a conversation like all day today with another writer friend about what it, just exactly this kind of thing of like how important it is to look at the other people in the world with you and recognize their wholeness, their completeness, um, to see them and recognize that like every, this boggles my mind sometimes, but like every person you pass on the street, every person whose eyes you look into, they have as vibrant an inner life as deep of hopes and dreams and loves as, as you do. Every single person is like an entire universe of of everything that you can possibly feel. And I don't walk around generally experiencing that or feeling that. And to have a 30 minute sitcom dramedy from the BBC, like reminding me this and helping me to feel this is, it's really profound. It (laughs) is. It is really profound. And those moments that you do feel where you meet eyes with someone on a bus or on a trolley or on, you know, those, those moments where you make contact, you, you look into somebody's eyes and you're like, you're filled with that feeling of Mm -hmm. like, Oh my God, this is another human being. And we're, even though I don't know this person, we're, we're in this together. Like we're like, I have always attributed that feeling that, that like, that fluttering of like recognition yes. I've always attributed that to the Holy spirit. Yes. That's, that's always what I that's, have attributed that's to. A, I mean, whatever, whatever religious language you want to bring to it, that is a divine consciousness. Yes. You know? Yes. The recognition in another human being's eyes that we are in this together. Yes. Yes. Um, and all, and I think most religions of the world would recognize it as such. Yeah. You know, absolutely. God, we got, deep we got deep on this i'm one. telling you Jesus. season two is deep as fuck it's so good and it's not just about like this forbidden love story of them finally having a role in the hay and then parting forever like it's really a meditation to me on the divine love that pervades all human relationships you know, and then the individual loves that we live out in our lives, whether it's between men and women, between sisters, between parents and children, like, yeah, yeah, it's, absolutely. it's a lot. There's a lot there. There's a lot there in 12, 25 minute episodes of a show. You get, you, you feel the full, I feel like you feel the full breadth and depth of the human experience and it's the modern human experience and it's absolutely 150% worth all of the hype Fleabag is and and I'm so glad you asked me to watch it because I loved it I knew you would love it I mean how could you not love that I mean the slow burn Kristen (laughs) the forbidden (laughs) slow burn Our our preferred a preferred flavor. Um, yeah. So the very last scene I've also, I read some commentary on 
that helped me. I had to go back and watch it to take it all the way in because I was so gutted by the scene between them when he he the, he sits down next to her, you know, and he's uh, you know, she just says it's God, isn't it? Like you're gonna choose the love of God. Yeah. You're not gonna you know renege on your vows and run off with me. That's not gonna happen. Um, and then she says three times. She's like the, the the worst thing is I fucking love you, and then yeah. she says it again, I and then she and then she says, "Just let that hang there for a minute," and he won't. She won't even let him speak, um, which to me is so vulnerable. She is like, she's just like, let my vulnerability just permeate this 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 moment, which I'm like, that's someone who has healed, that's someone who has been healed, you know. And then you know he gets up starts to walk away and he says, I love you too. And, and, and that's, you know, um, a validation that, that what they've had together has been real and powerful and, and is done in, yeah. in that is done in that sense. Yeah. And I feel so gratified that a story could do that and say some loves, some loves, are going to be real and powerful and enough and short. And not every love is going to be a lifelong, you know, kind of thing. And I, I just, oh man, I'm almost going to cry. I just think it's so, it's such an important thing to ponder. That It is. It that really is. There are plenty of loves that we get to have. And when we try to force them to go on, we can damage them or we can lessen them, but to just let something be what it is and do the work that it needs to do and then let it go. It's tremendous. So, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that that was made even more. That point was even made, you know, it was brought home by the fact that the Fox trotted on by Mm -hmm. and was chasing after him. And I think that that was, that was God just nipping at his yes. heels. Yes. Um, yes. And it was, um, you know, and the fact that too, um, I don't like, why am I crying now? Why am I? Because the show is so stupid. God, it's just a TV show. But the fact that she, the, the bus, she looked up at the bus stop and it said the bus stop sign said that her bus was canceled. And she got up and she walked away from the bus stop and the camera was set to follow her. And then she turned around and broke the fourth wall for the last time and said, no, like she said, no, basically, no, I'm done. You don't need to follow me anymore. I don't need you anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, That was so perfect. She, and then we watched her walk off. She's enter, she's going to fully enter her life. She's going <laughs> to stop she's going to stop deflecting. You know? She's going to stop trying to step out of it and comment on it. But she's going to she's going to enter her life. And that is I mean like shit. Like that is profound. And you don't need to make any more seasons and I will be mad if they do because that was a complete story. Of, you of, don't need to say anything em- else. Of deflection and emotional shutdownness, and someone who is who has healed and and is going to engage with with the world. 
you know, which is not to say that terrible things are not going to continue to happen and whatever, but yeah. Anyway. Fantastic. Just, Just so from good. Start to finish. It was absolutely probably some of the best storytelling I've ever had the privilege of watching you know honestly. what I just thought that this kind of reminds me a little bit of is the movie once mm. have you seen Mm-mm. oh dear you must see once it's a musical um okay I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spoil it for you then but it, I would say it has a similar flavor of um a relationship between the two two main characters who you are are very clearly connecting with one another and and are doing a certain amount of healing in one another's lives um but i'm not gonna tell you any more than that okay and, and it's also an irish dude so oh, we, like, we like we like that <clears throat> good lord i think they have i think there must be this, this melancholy element in in them that works well for these types of stories so oh yeah the celtic the celtic melancholy so or the British, yeah. And and that British Reserve, too. The Celtic mm-hmm. Melancholy, mm-hmm. that British Reserve. I mean, Lord have mercy. God, it was just such a fantastic show. <laughs> we had to podcast this right now because we were both feeling, like, I rewatched, I've watched season two twice since, like, three days ago. I don't so. blame you. Andrew Scott <clears throat> is ridiculous. Like, he's so freaking hot. Well, and I love the scene. I think it's a four and they're walking down the street and he has that blue shirt on and she's, she's popping out and giving a side. She's like, his arms, his, his arms, neck. his <laughs> neck, his beautiful neck. Yeah. And I love that because I mean, like, these are the, these are the thoughts. These are the thoughts that cross one's mind <laughs> at times. Who? Okay. So the sacred and the profane loves that we get to experience. It's good stuff. Amen. Okay. Should we end there? We shall. Should we be done? Yeah. Yeah. Let's be done. Everybody. Well, thanks wow. for joining our deep ramble on how life is great and painful and people are all we have. Yeah. And hopefully it won't be as long next time we... We get to podcast. Um, we make no promises. But we make no promises. <laughs> we do this for free. It's just for funsies. Um, but if you have anything that you guys would like to hear us podcast about. Yes. Please go ahead and shoot email us an email. Us. Yeah. Or tweet. Gin, yeah. Gin, gin and topics podcast at Gmail. Or same C's on the Twitter. So. Yeah. Same he's on yeah. the Twitter. And, and you know, if we find another obsession that we're as obsessed with. This is how we function. We get obsessed. We should probably talk about it all right away. And then we move on quickly. We're not unlike Fleabag in that sense. True. <laughs> True. Absolutely. With less um, STDs, hopefully. Yep. <laughs> Fewer. Pardon me. <clears throat> okay. Thank you, dear listeners. We will talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.